Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor and innuendo, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by Democrat Michael Bauer, Republican Jeannie Ives, Progressive Salim Mulekil, and Republican Chris Roebling. Our program tonight coming to you from our brand new studios at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in Chicago, the Paul and Angel Harvey Radio Center, to be exact. It's nice to have you with us. Phone lines open, 1-800-723-8029. If you'd like to email me a comment, it's brucedumont at museum.tv. If you want to tweet me a comment, it's at dumo, at D-U-M-O. And again, if you want to join us on the World Wide Web, it's beyondthebeltway.com. It is not only this week's show, but past shows as well. And again, you can join us live on Facebook as well as on YouTube. So you can find us just about anywhere. And I want to thank at the beginning of the show, I want to thank uh, uh, Fritz Goldman and Sam Greenberg and uh, Justin Kolovsik and all the people, Big City Sets, Chuck Grandis. I want to thank all the people who've been working for the last three weeks and putting our new studio together while we did this broadcast from our flagship station WIND in Elk Grove Village. But we're back in our new home. And again, we hope we, you enjoy both the radio and television version of our show for tonight and for many, many years to come. We've got lots to talk about. We always do. I want to begin by talking about tariffs. I want to ask Jeannie Ives, who's one of our conservative Republicans tonight. Jeannie Ives, are, are you worried that uh, those that supported Donald Trump may end up on the short end of the stick uh, come 2020 on the tariffs issue? Well, I'll tell you what I'm not worried about. I am not worried about those folks who are farmers and agriculture industry folks. I'm not worried about them not voting for Donald Trump in 2020. I think he will be returned to office in 2020. I think those folks are going to vote for him regardless of the tariff situation. And here's why. First of all, I've, I've, you know, we're an agricultural state. In fact, for Illinois, where this, this is broadcasted from Chicago. So in Illinois, you know, agriculture is our number one industry. It's a $17 billion industry. Over 50% of our soybeans, though, however, are go out to China. And, and so it has hurt them. I'm not saying it hasn't hurt them. However, in December and then again um, earlier this year, uh, Donald Trump did send those guys about a buck fifty in, in support for their crops on soybeans and stuff like that. So they they basically, if they had sold at that time, when you say they a buck fifty. What do you mean by that? Uh, well, he, two two different payments, sixty eight cents each per bushel on mm-hmm. on their on their on their soybeans. So okay. you know, basically, the farmers that I've talked to say, look, if I got soybeans and I can get ten bucks a bushel, I'm going to be fine with that. And he brought them up to about that amount. Um, and I know that the, the the cost is down now, but the farmers that I say. They want fair trade, and they're willing to stick through it with um, Donald Trump while he gets the deal done. I want to talk to Michael Bauer, your card-carrying Democrat. Michael, nice to have you with us. <laughs> Great to have you back. Um, to what extent are the tariffs an important issue for the Democrats uh, in this campaign? Well, I imagine that some of the Democratic candidates will try to make the tariffs a big issue, but but I'm going to be surprising you with my statement. You know, we have gone for decades— with China engaged in stealing our intellectual property, with uh, 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 pouring into the marketplace, global marketplace, counterfeit goods, uh, and and Democratic presidents and Republican presidents have never done anything about the so-called China trade problem. 
And I have to tell you something. I don't know whether the tariff situation will work or not, but I give Donald Trump credit that he's at least willing to tackle the problem and try to resolve it. Chris Robley, you travel around the world. Uh, what are they talking about around the world uh, as re regards to tariffs? And where do you come down as to whether or not this, uh, is this going to be a net plus or a negative for the president in re-election time? Well, I think what I, in reference, I, I was just in the Middle East and then in India and then in <clears throat> Hong Kong before coming back. I, and I guess what I understand, what I hear is uh, amazement that an American administration is taking these issues on and is doing so both with a growing economy, which strengthens our hand, and with someone who understands economics, who is President Trump. So uh, was this unexpected by virtually everyone? I think it was as unexpected as Trump winning. Is it going to hurt him? I don't think it is going to hurt him because I believe, as Jeannie is reporting, the folks in these affected industries have been hurt, as Michael says, literally for decades, for decades. And they're seeing somebody step up, and they know there might be a little more pain between here and resolution, but actually... The Chinese economy, it, I don't want to say faltering in a existential sense, but it's sputtering, okay? We are growing. Right now, they need us more than we need them. And so Trump has created an ideal situation in which to make these claims. Does, does, does the president have to have a conversation with his base, basically? I mean, some of these people, I, I saw some of the farmers on on one of the network newscasts last week, and they basically said uh, for national security purposes and for the good of the country, they were willing to take a hit. Is that, is that part of the sacrifice that Donald Trump has got to make a reference to? Well, honestly... That, that everybody's got to sacrifice and wrap himself in the flag on it? I, I think this is a big issue for them. However, it, it, it's interesting because these are the same farmers that also do need some immigrant help to, to bring in their crop. So he could actually, uh, in some ways, be more generous on that way through work visas or whatever he needs on that mm -hmm. thing. So he could help them in that way. But look, his, his surprise supports are going to be higher than what he offered last year to help these farmers through this thing. That's a, that's a huge boon to them. And, I, and the farmers that I talked to said there's a couple things in the last two years also. There was an oversupply of production to begin with which means that the part of the prices were going to de de be depressed. They've also have other issues right now with spring planting being off because it's been very wet here. They've had the floods uh, that have affected Nebraska and Iowa. So all of this, they, they take into uh, context. So it's not simply the tariffs and they know that that said what Donald Trump can get them on a tariff deal and on a trade deal is he can actually open more markets to them, which is really the end goal here. And, and so they're willing to stick with him. And on a fairer basis. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, think that, and I think that's the key issue that we have to keep in mind. Everyone's looking for a fair trade deal. And Did we don't the, have one right now with China. On, a, on another issue, uh, the immigration speech last night or last week in the Rose Garden, was that a speech uh, for someone yeah. that wants to get sing, something done? Or was that the speech of a person that wants a great issue for 2020, Michael? It's a speech. It's a great political issue. Does everybody agree his, with that? His, Does remarks, anybody think that's going to lead to any? I believe it, it's, a, it's a great example of how the Democrats have managed to paint themselves into a corner by mindless opposition, by this so-called resistance and, <sighs> to everything, and a refusal to engage. 
They don't have to engage with Trump so much. They don't even have to engage with the Republicans in Congress. I mean, ultimately they have to, but the Democrats should be engaging with regular people and their lived experience in this economy. And I believe folks are, if they did that, they would be giving some votes to Trump the way that Tip O'Neill mm-hmm. allowed some votes to go over you know, to Reagan. I, I, wait, I have to tell you something. we got to yeah. pause. I, I'm going to let you do that in okay. a moment. 1-800-723-8029. From coast to coast and border to border, I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight on Beyond the Beltway. is a powerful thing. It connects the global economy to your living room, cleaner air to stronger markets, factory floors to less crowded roads. Today's progress to tomorrow's promise. Norfolk Southern. One line, infinite possibilities. Bruce Dumont, thanks very much for joining us tonight. Salim Mouwakil has joined us, who's running uh, a little bit late with a little uh, problem we ran into uh, downstairs <laughs> of our new brand new studio. Mm-hmm. Salim, we've been t- I'm going to bring you up to speed. Mm. We were talking about the tariffs, and we were also talking uh, briefly, uh, primarily about the tariffs and how they how they play uh, in, in various communities. Is, is the tariff an issue that your listeners to WVON radio care about, do they talk about the tariff <coughs> issue very much? No, not, not much. Unless um, some, some connection is made with, with, you know, retail price rises. Uh, and, you know, people have been talking about Walmart, Walmart's dependence on China and how that might mm-hmm. affect, um, uh, you know, some of, some of the uh, audience that shops at Walmart. Mm-hmm. But other than that, there's really not been that much discussion yeah. about it. Now, one of the other really big issues last uh, last week uh, was the the legislature in Alabama, uh, a, a very restrictive abortion law signed by Governor Ivey, and uh, there's seven other states that have varying degrees of abortion bills that are have riled up obviously the the pro-choice community. And again, I want to come back on a political issue now, because Jeannie, mm-hmm. you've been very active in the Right to Life movement for a long time, as has Chris Roebling. Um, is this the way you want this issue dealt with now? You'd like to see Roe v. Wade overturned, would you not? Well, certainly I'd like to see it. I think it was an overreach by the federal government with something that should probably be decided at the state level. And I think that's generally what most conservatives or Republicans believe, that essentially this is not something that's set in constitutional. I have the constitutional right to an abortion and that it's best left up to the states to decide what level, uh, uh, you know, abortion restriction you're going to have. And of course, the more knowledge we've had about abortion, its effects on the, the, the human life inside the woman, uh, the, the mother and, and everything else, the more that we know about the pain threshold, the more that we know about when the hearts start beating and all that. The science has informed what we know more about the abortion issue. And I think that you've, you've seen, really, um, Americans become far more pro-life and certainly want to reject the extreme abortion bills that you've seen from New York, the thoughts that have happened in Virginia, the comments by uh, Governor Northam about um, essentially infanticide. 
that is to us very extreme. But but again, Pat Robertson said that he thinks the Alabama law was maybe a little too extreme, went too went too far. Uh, Chris, well, what, what's your take? Okay. Is you, uh, you, you, what the you, heck is wrong with Alabama saying something? What the heck is wrong with New York saying something? I mean, this is democracy. These are the laboratories. I agree with Jeannie. You know, what, what came out of New York and what came out of, in my opinion, uh, Virginia was um, abhorrent, I think, to any, any sense of decency and concern about the absolutely uh, vulnerable life within okay and when when we have governor northam talking about well we can have the baby out and then the mother makes a decision then we'll act that i mean it is infanticide so now alabama has spoken i don't think that what alabama did is any worse than what new york and virginia did i think alabama is trying to uphold the rights of these absolutely you know um uh what a vulnerable pre-born Human yeah. beings. Michael, where do you okay. come down on, on this issue? And, okay. and again, we, the, the politics of it. We have two extremes here. We have one extreme where I don't think anyone wants an abortion on demand. And the other extreme is I think I think most people want women to have the right to get an abortion under certain circumstances. So who should decide where, where those parameters are? Frankly, I think politicians are the worst possible people decide this because they have no clue what they're talking about. But I they're think the this ones is something that do it. They need but they're to the done. ones that do decide it. I'm sorry? But they are deciding it. Well, they are deciding it. And they're screwing it all up. I mean, I don't want to... Listen. Well, I want to see you know, Michael If, if you want to think was, Governor was, Northam saying a woman it, it, eight and a half months pregnant should be able to have an abortion. Well, of course, that's that's insane. Thank you. Okay. I want to no, get Salim's response as well. Salim, again... Your experience with your callers, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, a lot of African-Americans are very religious people. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of African-Americans who live in Alabama. Mm -hmm. The perception in the media is that African-Americans are pro-choice, but I don't know mathematically whether that's true or not. No, I, it's not. I don't think it's true as, at all. But um, what African-Americans all worry of is the fact that these this this abortion, this anti-abortion fervor is coming primarily from the red states. And so they connect that the, the, the kind of racist attitudes that tend to be prevalent in these states with this with this uh, uh, anti-abortion fervor. And they and they they are very suspicious of this. Um, a lot of them suspect that it is primarily a kind of demographic anxiety that is leading um, a lot of these white uh, politicians to. Be, be so adamant in their in their rejection of abortion. Although um, the the people who would suffer, who, who would most likely uh, you know be the, have the the most aborted um, fetuses would be um, African Americans because right. they tend Shitty. they that's, tend to be that is absolutely mm -hmm. right. Mm -hmm. This is eugenics. That's how abortion started with Margaret Margaret Sanger, Sanger and. We all know that, and that's where they, they Planned Parent intentionally pushes, puts their uh, facilities in minority communities. So how do, why, why do you— It's not right. It's, it's not fair. That's why the do you, racism. You, that's the racism Why do you right think there. there are people who, who really don't seem to care much about black lives and in, in other, other ways— uh, are so. Um, of course, I, I. But actually, I don't agree I with you. I think that premise. I reject that premise. You reject too. that premise? Yeah, absolutely. We're the ones who talk, argue for. If you talk to black people in the south, if you talk to black people in the south, they would say, "Are you crazy? 
We live among these races. We, we, every day we experience this kind of discrimination. It, it, How can you possibly I, say that that's not true? It's uh, incredible, ask, actually. I, I mean, first of all, um, you know, uh, African Americans used to be Republicans. In fact, they were. Yeah, the, when, the, when, they when, were when Republicans were the party, were the party of, of Lincoln, exactly. The Republicans are the party of, of civil rights. Republicans are the party of Lincoln. Were the That's ones true. who abolished slavery. It used to be they before the became fourteen. Before the Southern I would strategy. Like, you need to. You need to quantify that. You need to qualify southern that. Strategy. You need to absolutely tell us exactly yeah. where you see the racism. Southern strategy. We're also the ones. You, do you know why Florida? The won? modern Republican do you know why party Florida was went built Republican on racism. Governor? The Republican governor won in Florida because of the voucher program that he put in place so that minority and poor children could get a shot at a good education in the private sector. Judy, here's That's why here's he the did problem. that one. Poor women, poor black women <clears throat> in Alabama and Georgia will not be able to get abortions in those states. And, and that means that they have to find the funds to travel to a state where they will be allowed to get an abortion. And they don't have the funds because they're more economically uh, disadvantaged. They can choose adoption. Or well, they will be vulnerable to these, to, these, uh, to these uh, backdoor abortions, which is also likely. It's a human you know, life. I, I mean, I, I'd rather be... Right, look, I, I don't understand why you want to... You disavow the potential of a human life. I, I don't understand that. I would rather, well, if you're going to call I, me an extremist, I'm going to tell you that I'd rather stand I, on life and the potential for that life to exist and... And, and to grow and to produce wonderful I, things that for, for I, the future. Chris Roebling. I believe that th this, is, this is the gravest of all subjects, I think. And I believe that this is the most significant subject in the political forum today. And it is, I'm just back from Harper's Ferry, as a matter of fact, in addition to all that other stuff. And I can tell you, having been to John, where John Brown stood, I think that what, ha what has been happening between New York and Virginia and Alabama, I think that the activism of folks who see the Democratic Party accepting extremism at the cost of these vulnerable lives, I believe that is one of the most significant elements in what I think is going to be, and I've been doing my tally, Mike and I were Michael and I were talking about a 40-state... I think it's about 30, 35 to 38 states that Trump is going to win next year. And I think this is one of the keys. Mm. I will tell you, though, someone like me looks at Alabama, looks at the law just passed in Missouri, looks at some of these other states who are passing uh, uh, heartbeat laws, et cetera. And I, I view that as incredible extremism. I, I that, understand. That I think, that I I understand think women that in this would. country right. will reject I, well, for the I, most I, part. I, I, we'll think, see. We, I, I we'll think see. we're going to see, but the, the, the original I, decision, the overreach that was referred to by Jeannie, you know, you had all those guys on the Supreme Court. We didn't have any of the understanding of the neonatology that we do today. Yes. And I think that men and women and children, and you're seeing activism among high school students and college yes. students. Like on I both sides, in the but 70s. on both sides. Well, you are saying this, on no, both sides. My, the question I'm asking is, is this the issue we want to dominate a presidential campaign? I, I don't think President it Trump never, wants this issue. Has it ever? I don't think it. I think it's always been a vital interest to yes, the folks on both sides. But it's usually about who is going to be appointed to the Supreme Court. That's the way it's been for the last, right, what, three right. or four well, cycles. Mm. I will say this. In some circles, it's a litmus test. 
both on both sides. On both sides. And and and, 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 and so that good or bad. that's why we're having this discussion right now. Right. It's it's because Bernie Sanders was asked by Chuck Todd today. I meet the press. Is this a lipis test for you? And he said yes. Yeah, but. The Democrats have not been very wrong. Not definitively. Not definitively at all. This is a great example of where the Democrats have falsely described the situation on the Republican side. They have said that it was a litmus test for us. And in fact, it's we a have really put, a litmus test we, for them. Exactly. You have one. We have, you, have the, you have the Chicago representative, Dan Lipinski, whose wife I happened to see Friday night at the Illinois Right to Life okay. banquet. 800 people, place was packed. Trey Gowdy was the the featured uh, keynote speaker. Okay. He's the only one in the Democrat Party who will stand for life. Right. And he's being yeah. ostracized. And now, once again, what what is your party doing? You are primarying him DC, over... Though, you're primarying him over um, the, the um, for the abortion issue. Actually, what's interesting, though... But the, party, but, no, but, the, the party, but the party is saying by Dan Lipinski. Yeah, finally, but they didn't last they time didn't in the primary. Time. They, they did not last time. They learned their lesson they, they last time in the primary. Right. They, they, they figured out that they had to stay, stick with him, but right. he's still being primaried, which well, says a lot. Well, let me also point out, Bob Casey we gotta be back is a senator from With instant acceleration, electric cars are more fun to drive and more affordable than ever. Electric cars are here. Plug in to the present. Dallas, St. Louis, Nashville, Tuscaloosa. All major cities to feel the destruction caused by a direct hit from a tornado. Is Chicago next? It's not a question of if, but when, and the clock is ticking. Learn what to do now at ready.illinois.gov to become Tornado Ready. Bruce Dumont back at the Paul and Angel Harvey radio studio at the Museum of Broadcast mm. Communications in Chicago. And again, we're working out of the Art LeBeau control room. Mr. LeBeau is a member of the Brady Hall of Fame. He's the man who came up with the idea of oldies but goodies. Oldies mm. but goodies. Good and by idea. the way, speaking of rock and roll, let me mention that uh, uh, this coming uh, Friday, we're opening the latest uh, exhibit here at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. It's produced in association with the uh, Radio Hall, uh, with the, I'm sorry, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in Cleveland, Ohio. It's called Louder Than Words, and it's about the relationship of rock and roll and politics. The exhibit is already up, so our guests around the table this evening will be the first on their block to see it. But right. come on down, it opens up. It's uh, $18 for adults. Come on down, it starts, uh, it's going to run here for several months. But again, it's a very well done. If you're interested in politics, if you're interested in music, hmm. or if you're interested in just museums, I think there's really is something for everybody. It talks about the protest songs of... Uh, uh, does anybody remember their favorite protest song? Now, again, to our Republicans, do you remember <laughs> the Ballad in the of wind. the Green Beret? I mean, what, Blow, what do you remember? Uh, well, Blowing you know, in the wind. Blowing in the wind. I'm not too, too young. young. I, I Joan Baez stepped on my foot in a march in Washington in about 1975. Okay. She stepped on my foot. That's your claim to fame? Well, it's my claim to fame. And she looked at me with those big eyes of hers, and she said, I'm so sorry. And I was like, 
you could step on another one. It's okay. <laughs> you probably were on the left at that time. You right? were not the last person whose toes she stepped on. I, hey, <laughs> um, I was actually in my transition, 72 okay. to 76. Okay. I was, I was okay. you know, questioning my Democratic upbringing. Were there protest songs? I mean, obviously, we deal with a black, with a back. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, Marvin Gaye, Marvin Gaye, you know, what's going on. Also, Woodstock, Joni, Joni uh, Mitchell. I mean, yeah. that was uh, one so. of my Do you favorites. remember any? Uh, war, war, war. war. Yeah. What is the yeah. big war? Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. do, you, do you remember uh, Eve of Destruction? Yes. Eve of Destruction. Eve of Destruction oh. was one of the first songs to be banned uh, by I was uh, in a service rock band. and roll station. That was, that was, that was like... The lyrics to that were like, uh, couldn't believe that they were actually on the radio. Yeah, right. I tell you, I helped throw up a barricade and showed and wrote at Northwestern University in uh, May of uh, 1970. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Well, this was wow. Yeah, it was a rebel in those days. Well, I know. <laughs> yeah. Then, yeah. then the, uh, the Ballad of the Green Beret came out, which yeah. was the response to Eve of Destruction. And so, right. well, anyway, these are some of the stories that uh, you will hear uh, and see uh, depicted at Louder Than Words. It's going to run uh, through the summer here at the Museum of Broadcast Communications. I think you will all like it if you're coming to the city of Chicago. Let's let our Republicans now take a moment and introduce themselves, and we'll begin with Jeannie Ives. I'm Jeannie Ives. I'm a former state representative in, from Illinois, former gubernatorial candidate on the Republican side, and we are talking about abortion tonight, and I do sit on a PAC board for Illinois Right to Life. And Chris Roebling. Uh, my name is Chris Roebling, and it's great to be in this inaugural use of the Paul and Angel Harvey studio. Uh, and uh, it's been my privilege to be on the program down through the years and uh, Long time. really appreciate it. And let's meet our Democrats or our progressives this evening. Let's mm. start with you, Salim Muwakil. More I'm, of a progressive than a Democrat. Yeah, I guess you could say that. Salim Muwakil, I'm a um, longtime um, participant in Beyond the Beltway, 25 years, in fact. Yes. Something like that. So, but um, you had gray hair then. Yeah. <laughs> I've had gray hair since I was about 25, really. Um, that, that's a sign of wisdom. Those are my chevrons. That's how yes, I look right, at. right. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm happy to be here in this inaugural um, uh, episode. Very good. And uh, Michael Bauer. And I am Michael Bauer. And <coughs> among other activities, I'm the co-chair of the State of Illinois Holocaust and Genocide Commission. And I'm just coming off being uh, chair and the finance chair for the uh, successful campaign by Lori Lightfoot to be mayor of Chicago. And she is sworn in tomorrow. And at, she is sworn uh, in tomorrow. Tomorrow. That's it. National attention. Yeah. Indeed. I think we probably all could probably agree. We're probably sort of excited about this, whether yes. we're Republicans yeah. or Democrats. Uh, there is a significant change in Chicago, hopefully. Uh, starting uh, new era tomorrow morning. Chicago well, might be ready for reform. Well, we're I think we're just, right, uh, we're we're just find out. celebrating that Bob is leaving. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of celebration of that. Uh, let me talk, let me. Uh, I, I, I want to talk more about uh, I, the the abortion issue. Obviously, is a hot one. It will continue to be a hot one. But I, I, I want to go to our Democrats and find out um, it, how do you as Democrats. How do you deal with this issue? Because I would assume that obviously in your base, it's probably overwhelmingly uh, against the Alabama law. Yeah. I mean, abortion has been an important part or, or pro-choice uh, pro, uh, pro position right. has been important to you for almost 30 years now. So my question is, is there any variation of that issue 
that a Democrat can get away with and discuss. I mean, if a Democrat were to say, as the president said, and as Ronald Reagan has said, uh, I believe in abortion with the exception of the life of the mother, which is what it says in Alabama, right, right. as well as rape, as well as incest, which it does not say in Alabama. Is that a position that a Democrat could survive with in a presidential campaign? I'll start I with don't you, think Mike. so. I, I, I think, I think uh, the party, right, rightfully or wrongly, is at a point right now where I think you have to be uh, 100% pro-choice to be uh, to be an effective candidate, to be a viable candidate. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I think so. I, I think it comes down to this this question of a, a, a woman's right to her own autonomy, and and when it comes to to those issues, even even African Americans who are, for the most part, anti-abortion, um, right? They still uh, treasure this 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 freedom of a, of a woman's choice, and if that's because you know we've seen um, we have a history of when the government has kind of abrogated the choices of, of, of people and, you know, segregation, you can't go here, you can't. So uh, there's a there's a reluctance to accede to that kind of uh, um, legislative uh, fiat. So how do they respond to the Louisiana governor, you know, um, Governor Edwards, who, as he prepares to sign a heartbeat bill in Louisiana, is a Democrat. So you've, you've got these folks who actually don't right. adhere right. necessarily right. to the party construct that abortion on demand at any time is what you want. Uh, and actually on, I mean, the perception of your, your what you have presented as, well, we don't really believe in late term abortion, but really your party and all of the, the candidates out there for um, president on your side, they have taken those extreme positions on abortion. I never said I didn't believe in late term abortion. I'm, I'm aware of the circumstances okay. under which women in their seventh and eighth month have to get an abortion when they discover that the fetus uh, has no brain, when they discover the fetus has a spine that's outside the fetus's body, uh, when they discover that they are diagnosed with an advanced case of cancer and have to start uh, uh, chemotherapy right away. Okay, so those are sort yeah. of red herrings. When, when we talk about the abortion debate, those are very much red herrings. But, but, First of all, okay. you can you it's less safe to, to actually perform an abortion than it is to deliver the baby and let the baby's life go as it may go, as God has granted it okay. to God. And I've been through that. Okay. I've been through okay. that where I, my, my, at the 20-week ultrasound, I knew that my baby was not going to live. Okay. And so we delivered naturally at about eight and a half months when it was time to be born, and, we let, and he died in my arms after 45 okay. minutes. But, there's, but actually, it's more risky to the mother in those late terms to to perform an abortion than it is to deliver that child and let nature take its course, if it's that right. way, or to, to put it up for adoption or whatever else. That is actually the case. So it's a red herring that that's ever necessary well, if you talk but, to but anybody. But whose decision is it to make? Should it be the woman and her OB-GYN, or should it be the government making that decision? Yeah. Chris, right. It's a human life. Well, I, it's I, a human I, life, and we protect human life. Yeah, I think, I think what is fascinating at the root of today's issue is that say okay the the pro-life movement for the last 25 years has consciously pursued an incrementalist strategy and so the the strategy of the pro-life movement has been to identify circumstances in which a broad range of society not to say activists on the pro-choice side right. not to say planned parenthood right. not to say democrats who need the funding and the support of the planned parenthood pro-choice 
pro-choice uh, abortion industrial complex. But to say, to, the pro-life movement has identified situations like parental consent or parental yes. notice, okay, yes. or informed consent. They've looked at specific situations right. in which the Democratic Party, I think to its everlasting detriment and shame, has in every case said, if we agree with this, then we will somewhere lose the right to an abortion. And that, I believe, is the principal cause for the divisiveness of this issue in national politics. Democrats were unwilling, because Planned Parenthood and the funding network behind it were unwilling to grant any exceptions. And this, right. this so, so the incrementalist right. strategy that was used by the civil rights movement on the one hand was then adopted by the pro-life movement in sort of the 1990s here in Chicago at Americans right. United for Life. And that has come over the last 25 years, born enormous fruit, no pun intended, for the pro-life movement. And frankly, that's why there's so much traction on its side of the conversation today. And Democrats are becoming, in my opinion, more and more extreme in their reaction. Wait a minute. That's not why there's so much traction on this issue. There's so much traction on this issue because Anthony Kennedy no longer sits on the United States Supreme Court and Brett Kavanaugh does. And 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 uh, with Gorsuch and Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court, the, the pro-life community thinks that it has an opportunity to either significantly chisel away at Roe versus Wade or overturn Roe versus Wade, which is why all these states are passing laws now, you know, trying to get something up to the Supreme Court. I just want and to say, it, you can't well, reconcile. That's, that's but actually, on the New York side, the, no. you, you they're, they're the ones who started the extremism. Yes, where we I'm, have a reaction, right. so you have, a, you yeah, have yes, another yes, reaction yeah, yeah. to that. Yeah. So it's a, it's a combination. Okay. We got a pause. 1-800-723-8289. Back shortly. If you look hard enough, go off the beaten track far enough, you'll find an America teeming with the unusual, the odd, the downright strange. I'm Will Klinger, and I'm your guide on a package tour we like to call Wild Travels. Join us on our weekly road trip to see America's most offbeat and unusual attractions. Wild Travels, available on your local PBS station, or it darn well should be. CSX moves forward, so do the rest of us. Stand by. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Uh, I don't think that was on the air. I hope not. Uh, when you were talking about somebody <laughs> was an absolute we idiot. Not. You'll just have to figure hope out not. who yeah. that might be. Uh, I want to come back to an issue, and I want to, I want to let, uh, let uh, uh, Celine kind of weigh in on it, and that mm. is, uh, the, the president's uh, decision uh, that uh, his new plan for, for legal immigration, and he wants to turn uh, the, the system into a merit system, mm -hmm. not based on families, not totally, there's a percentage that will be, but he want, he's basically arguing that, you know, there's people who have merit, we want them in the United States, mm -hmm. we shouldn't shun them, and he basically said, <coughs> we don't want to wage war against brilliance or genius, mm. 
Do you agree with him on that? I agree. We shouldn't wage war against brilliance, no doubt. But, I mean, at the same time, it's a, it's a sort of a restrictive position that he's Is taking. merit a bad word for you like it is for no. Nancy Pelosi? It's not a bad word for Nancy Pelosi either, I, I don't think. I think well, she, she said it was. Well, she, she's, just, she's saying that when, when it's used as, as, a, as a, um, a litmus test or as some sort of barrier, then, then it's, right. it becomes a bad word. Because it's just like, you know, the, 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 you know how, many, how many beans in, in, a, in, a, in a bottle, you know, that black people had to count uh, to vote once upon a time. It, that was, it, l- l- knowing how to count is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. But knowing how to count beans in a bottle is not is not a productive uh, is merit, exercise. Is is merit a good word for you to use, uh, Chris Roebling? Absolutely, and and I think this is again uh, this is a case where the Democrats are painting themselves into a corner. They're refusing to discuss the real issues that are confronting Americans. Uh, Jeannie already talked about our need for relatively speaking low skilled workers, and you know that was part of Simpson Mazzoli. That was part of Reagan's. Uh, plan with the Democrats. And then the rest of that wasn't funded as a long story. Trump is acknowledging that we're going to need people with relatively speaking fewer skills, and we need a lot of people with higher skills. And all of the people we need... Who could also take jobs from Americans. No, Actually, when you get into the uh, higher end, the HB1 visa programs, things like this, you're talking about people who are absolutely needed because we've got don't forget at this point I'm, i've been out of the country for two weeks but we're right now in a situation where we've got seven million empty jobs and mm-hmm. only six right, million people right. roughly who are unemployed mm. now there there's a whole another group of people that aren't participating but what trump has done is said he has said we need a immigration system that benefits the american economy and the american worker and that's what he's trying to deliver, and the Democrats ought to engage. But, Michael, but he's trying to, you say he's trying to deliver, but he, in his remarks on the, uh, in the Rose Garden, he left out two large groups of, of persons who have been uh, the subject of the immigration debate. What are the dreamers? There are 1.8 million dreamers in this country. And, and, and the second is people covered by temporary protected status. Are we going to allow them to stay in this country or not? We gave them we gave them the opportunity to come to this country because their countries were in crisis, uh, a variety of countries. There was about three to four hundred thousand of them, and the question becomes, what do we do about people covered by TPS? Mm-hmm. I think Trump's attitude well, he's so just going to send them all back. And this this is another area where where the uh, African American community is a bit, um, uh, you know, they're a bit at variance with with the, the traditional progressive view, and that is mm-hmm. a lot a lot of black black people do not. Um, uh, approve of this kind of uh, wholesale um, immigration policy. They they would like restrictions on immigration because they feel that um, this, this, especially in the lower income areas, that they are being kicked out of jobs. That Why they, does that not show up with Africa with members of the Congressional Black Caucus? I'm well, trying to think of any elected black official who was associated. With a with a with a tougher stance on illegal immigration, that's right? because of the, this notion of of uh, a solidarity, third world solidarity, so to speak. Um, if you oppress one people, then you you know you you are if you okay the oppression of one people, then you are essentially okaying the oppression. Do you buy oppression. that? I, I think that there's a, a, a an issue of of solidarity that's important to to uh, to uh, to uphold. What about but, what about that? Uh, 
But does that, that mean you want wholesale yeah. illegal immigration no, no, across the border? Certainly which is not. Why, why we're having this conversation and everybody's leaving out, leaving out the word legal immigration. Yeah, yeah, that's right. And, that's and, right. and you know, we're already still a very generous country when it comes to allowing um, and, and, and to come in of, legally. And we're the of, most generous country on the face of the earth. A million people plus come and, and in every year. And the notion of sanctuary year. city. So a lot of black people temporary. are saying, well, why not sanctuary for, um, uh, you know, Inmates, what, what, what's, what's happening See, with mass incarceration? This, this, this is where that, the, the Democrats, those people who are getting out of prison, mm -hmm. uh, do they feel that their jobs are being taken? Yes, indeed. Okay, yes. because this, this is an internal contradiction within the Democratic Party, Party that needs to be exploited fully by the Republicans, who, generally speaking, and I say this as a loyal Republican after my switch in 1976, are too stupid uh -huh. to do it. Too stupid to exacerbate these internal contradictions. And I think, honestly, the guy who has shown more interest, notwithstanding Salim's, in my humble opinion, as a respectful friend of his uh, for 25 years on this program, I, I don't buy that the Republican Party is racist because of the Southern strategy and Kevin Phillips, blah, blah, blah. We've had that conversation. I'm not going to get back into that. He has his position. I have mine. I'm telling you that the Democratic Party takes positions, whether it's with respect to Jewish people and Israel, with respect to African-American people and the economy, with respect to a lot of its base and the pro-choice issue, they're, they're conflicted all over the place. Sure. Sure. And, and Democrats and, and Republicans are too stupid to exacerbate well, those. Republicans so are too. Republicans are I think less so. I think that our coalition actually is easier to keep together than the Democrats. The Democrats. For, for a lot of different reasons, not the least of which is competing for government benefits. But I think our we, we have is the leave a, leave me alone coalition. Wait, have the Democrat have the has the Democrat Party decided that there is a crisis at the border yet, the southern border or not? Yeah, are they what, still, where are they? Where are that? they on that? They I, can't I figure think, that out. I think everyone the crisis at the southern border. It is border. a crisis. We just can't figure out what to do about it. Okay, and there's well, no proposals I, on what to do about it. That's not true. I, Trump has had proposal after yes, proposal. New, what about the new plan? And when you're, when you're talking about I the mean, Dreamers... It's not, it's not a piece of legislation what, yet, but what, do you, what did you think Trump, about the, the basic elements of his uh, immigration plan? Of, of his immigration plan? That, that we're going to change the uh, the ratios, that we're going to have you know, yes, skilled workers? And, that's part of it. Okay. And, and, and what change we, the rules? We on, discriminated yeah. even back at Ellis Island when people came through. There were all sorts of yes, categories of discrimination yeah. as to whether or not you were going to be allowed in. Were you going to be productive? Did you have any diseases? Are you, uh, you know... But we have what, a serious problem. First of all, we have a serious problem with Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador. Hi, I'm April Jewell, a teacher in Ballard County School District in Kentucky. Last year, we Welcome to the world, 2116. You can fly across town in minutes or across the globe in under an hour. Whole communities are living on Mars and solar satellites provide Earth with unlimited clean power. In less than a century, Boeing took the world from seaplanes to space planes across the universe and beyond. And if you thought that was amazing, you just wait. Today, fresh fruits and vegetables will go from a field in California to a grocer in Miami. A bottle of beer from Eagle Pass will journey to a restaurant in Manhattan. A two by four in Oregon will find its way to a townhome in Denver. A hybrid will say goodbye to Detroit 
in hello to a showroom in Austin. While a steel beam will leave a mill in Illinois for a high rise in Phoenix. And a flat screen in China will head to an electronic store in Memphis. Because today, as every day, wherever you find business, you'll find us. Bruce Dumont back at the Museum of Broadcast Communications in our brand new studio, the Paul and Angel Harvey Studio. And also we're working out of the Art LeBeau Control Room and uh, just a couple of other historic moments. <laughs> this brand new set of ours uh, was donated uh, many years ago to the museum uh, by WGN Radio. And this is the studio, and I am sitting where the legendary Radio Hall of Fame uh, member Wally Phillips sat in this chair. Bob Collins sat in oh. this chair. Spike O'Dell, uh, Extension 720 with the late Milt Rosenberg, also mm. used this studio. So this is a very memorable studio uh, in the history of uh, Chicago radio. But again, uh, the funding for much of it came from Paul and Angel Harvey, and Art LeBeau provided the support from the control room. So again, all together, we're making this available uh, for the where, where we do this program from. And we're also making it available for radio stations around the country. So if there are affiliates listening to this program this evening that would like to originate their show from Chicago uh, at some point, certainly not on Sunday night between 6 and 8, <laughs> but, but do let us Come know if you'd in. like to bring the show to Chicago. Uh, you can do it. And again, we're, we're literally right outside uh, the, the Radio Hall of Fame gallery here at the museum, which we'll uh, show to you in the next several weeks. But again, uh, nice to uh, have you uh, inaugurate, as well as our guest this evening, our brand new uh, studio. Um, I want to talk about Iran. I mean, how, how can you not get to it when there's been discussions and alleged plans of 125,000 troops, uh, which the president says is way too many, too few, rather. Um, Jeannie, uh, you are a, a military, uh, you're a captain in the Air Force Reserve, or Army Reserve. Former, yep. Former, mm -hmm. and uh, you have sons that serve this country. And my reaction to you, or my question to you is, where do you come down on, on Iran? I mean, well, you want to rattle look, I, the sabers I think, you know, or not? Obviously, um, the, first, the first goal is deterrence, and that's a show of force. And so that's the first step that, that President Trump is taking, and I think that's the appropriate step. He's going to that region. He, he doesn't want another Benghazi, so he's pulled out um, some of the ambassadorial staff out of Iraq. I think that's appropriate, too. Uh, they, they uh, from what I've read, have real solid intelligence um, that Iran is up to something. And maybe not them specifically, but the satellites that they actually, um, you know, fund and uh, give weapons to. So I think deterrence is obviously the first goal of the Trump administration and that anybody who says that he's leading this right into the path of a ground war, I think that is this, that's hyperbolic at this point. Um, Michael Bauer, what's your reaction well, I, to I the president's I think I've said this before. Comments? First, I think the objective of our policy toward Iran should be a regime change. Uh, okay. We, we should be doing everything possible to have the uh, Iranian people oust the mullahs uh, from their theor theocratic regime. Uh, that being said, I certainly don't think we want to go to another war, but I think the sanctions that we've imposed on mm -hmm. Iran have been extremely effective, 
And I think if they could be tightened, they should be tightened. Chris Roebling. You know, uh, Barack Obama actually imposed some pretty serious sanctions on Iran. And then they came to the table and he relented. And it was the senator from Illinois, Mark Kirk at the time, himself a United States Navy Reserve officer, said, no, we've got to tighten those sanctions, just like Mike Bauer is saying tonight. And that's exactly right. And that's exactly what uh, uh, President Trump has done. And the, the issue in the Middle East is without a doubt, the single most important security issue mm-hmm. in the Middle East is the ongoing kleptocracy. I mean, these people are miscreants. They are abusing. If It is not my place to say, as a Christian, it appears to me that they are abusing their religious offices, and there's a lot of evidence to support that. And they've got some very well-armed thugs who have also benefited from Barack Obama's fiscal largesse, okay, in the Iranian Revolutionary Guard Corps. And so we've got a malefactor in the middle between our friends in the Gulf and our friend (laughs) India, and we need to, um, I I think, get them to different behavior. And if that ends up in regime change, Hallelujah. That's right, but it's not it's not something that uh that we are going to exact on our own. We it's, this it's, is something that we've got to call in the uh, Saudi Arabia, right. or Israel. They've Saudi got to Arabia. all be part they all have to be part of this solution. Ooh, this is not something that we're right. going to do well, on our own. Who who has Iran invaded? Who 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 is Iran threatening? I, oh, well, okay, Syria. Iraq, Lebanon, they've been invited by Assad. They've invaded invaded Gaza. Iran is the only country in the region that has not invaded any other country. That is is just utterly false. The Houthis are uh, a Shia. That's why Iran is protecting them because of the imperialism of the the Saudis. The the Iranians have shipped arms. Who are creating ISIS. I'm sorry. And the whole Islamic... Revolution that we are all uh, the Islamist revolution that we all apparently are um, alarmed about. That's a Sunni production. No, what we're Iran, alarmed about Iran is, them is trying to stop weapon. them. That's what we're Iran about. Is, the, is the only force that has been able to uh, attenuate the march of ISIS. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That's why That's ISIS is out true. of Syria. My friend, right you got this. Okay, now. Come on, you got this entirely what, what wrong. A, what is Iran, Iran threatening, man? Iran is threatening access to the Red Sea as it is threatening access to the Persian Gulf. Iran has in when, place. When have they? They're doing so right. Why are they after Yemen? They, they don't all, care about Yemen. Almost, Yemen. No There's they almost ca- always a small No other little... of our allies agree with you. I, Japan says Iran is a I'm sorry, that's not true. true. There's always You're, a scare when they go no through the Straits of Hormuz. Come on. Let me tell you. That, they, 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 the war mongering Americans are really incredible. This is not war mongering. I'm the last person who's going to be a war monger. We thought Trump was that as well, but apparently he's changed his mind. You are looking at what the president said he oh. hopes not when asked about whether there was going to be war. He says, I hope not. Yeah. The way to now avoid got, war is to may... show strength now so that they're uh-huh, not man. going to take steps that would lead to war. And I'll tell you, they the have, they have disrupted... Anyone is Iran. Uh, Salim, they have disrupted, uh, without a doubt, 
They are busy disrupting Afghanistan. They have disrupted Pakistan. They have disrupted Iraq. Sunni. They have disrupted You're Syria. You're mixing things up here, no, my I'm friend. No, I'm not. I'm not you mixing you, things you, up. Unaware of when you get on, hold on a second. One at a time. I'm one sorry. Time. I, You're I unaware of the sectarian differences. And that 30, is, that's, excuse grievous. Me one second. that's a grievous mistake I have part. made 30 trips to the Middle East in the past seven years, and I've got friends who are Shia, and I've got friends who are Sunni, and I'm not mixing those things up. I am telling you that when you get your bags inspected at the Beirut airport, Mm -hmm. They are being expected, inspected by Hamas personnel who work and are paid Beirut, for you mean by Hezbollah. Iran. You mean Hezbollah. Hezbollah. I'm sorry, Hezbollah. Thank you. And, Thank you. and when you are talking about Libya, the Libyan situation has been destabilized by Iran. Iran is a principal malefactor, so and they are dedicated are to— who, who are these Sunni chauvinists? Who, who are the Wahhabis? Who, what is the Wahhabi uh, underlying uh, Look, principle that I, is driving ISIS? Have you identified that? I, I I think that uh, is there that is irrelevant? a bit, there is well I don't think that Saudi Arabia is invading Syria yes, and Lebanon Yemen and, and yeah, Gaza and, no I don't th- I think Saudi Arabia is defending itself oh, from in in, oh, in oh, Yemen Yemeni. and I th- I think that that's a very it's a very tough situation for our ally I have been at the Riyadh airport when our technology has been shooting We've down got a pause. rockets shot 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number back with more heated conversation in a moment back in Chicago and during the break Michael Bauer you made a point and uh, started a little battle uh, during the commercial break so let's put it on the air okay you so said that the United States saying, has a very important decision to make what is that decision and, and and the issue in the Middle East is who would we rather get into bed with the Saudis or the Iranians recognize recognizing that neither one is is frankly a good player neither one is a positive player so the question is not who is the better of the two, but who is the less worse of the two. And, and I think, from my perspective, I would much rather get in bed with the Saudis than the Iranians. Okay, now we heard from Salim. He totally disagrees yeah, with that. Yes, I disagree. Let's hear from our Republicans. Let's say, let, let's say it's a binary choice. you got to choose one or the other. Jeannie Ives, well, well, lean in. Let us right know. now you have no choice but the Saudis. I mean, the Iranians uh, run by the mullah and, and their entire uh, theocratic... Uh, and Saudis are not theocratic. Well, of, of, of course they are, but no. at least they're friendly to us. We, they've actually let us uh, uh, hold hand, uh, you know, hold ground while we took care of Kuwait. I mean, they've been friends that way. So, I mean, Iranians, you can't even deal with them. And and we're, we're like we're not. We, we, we let a murder a journalist. We don't have chain. Well, Saudis, right? We didn't let them. We didn't they, let they, them. They, they did that. Went they did that. Down that chain. But we didn't. I want to tell you, we didn't really pursue it. No, look, there's there's plenty. Of, that's what. That's why this is a. Look, this is terrible. Yeah. It's a terrible if, choice. If you but, want the Middle East to flourish, if you want the Middle East Iran. to flourish, I'll, I'll tell you two things, kind of in response. A the Iranian people are among the most sophisticated, cultured, Indeed. well-read, brilliant, Indeed. cosmopolitan, uh, open, interested, and interesting people you're ever going to find anywhere on the face of the earth. That's number one. Okay. And they're being completely suppressed by what they refer to in their parlance, in their expression as, quote, the stupid regime. That's what they call it. 
the stupid regime is doing this. The stupid regime did that. And, and we hear got, that in the United States as well. We, we, right. We've got people over there who have their <laughs> life savings on Tuesday. Uh, is When they wake up on Thursday, it's worth a third of what it was on Tuesday. Why? Because of the galloping inflation that is underway because of the stupid regime. Okay. So one thing is, which is the partly, people. Which is partly responsible for, because of our sanctions. I, I, our look, sanctions are look the sanctions are, help, are there to that. hurt the regime. Yes. yes. Yeah, and again. and there's going to be damage, yes. and but on the other damage. side of all of this, yes. Yes. you've got people who can get liberated. And the second point is, I will say about the entire Middle East, in my humble opinion, the single most important issue in the Middle East is K-12 education. Mm. K-12 education is the key to the Middle East, in my humble opinion, having been having had the privilege of going there 30 times in the last right. six seven years. You get you get kids learning at international standards. And I think the Middle East is going to have a blossoming of creativity. You already see it. Will the Saudis allow that to happen? Yes, absolutely. I mean, I'm working on a STEM school but, but in why Mecca. Do you, why, do you, so why do you think the Saudis will allow that to happen? Uh, because I think that the Saudis understand. I think that all of the, the Middle East. They're the most restrictive of all. Wouldn't they're you not. No, they're not. Okay. They're, they are becoming serially less restrictive. I mean, the for instance, the religious police are no longer issuing citations you know, so on the street the corner though, and things like this. So here's the difference, though. What you brought up is really important. There's a difference between saying, well, we want to align with one one particular government head, Iranian or Saudi. And it's another thing to say the people. Right. Underlying all right. of this is is the people and who, you know, what can we do for them? Right. right? And, 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 and in Iran, basically, they you have to stoke revolt. Right. To, to make some well, but, but, but what you're doing happen. is you're, you're forcing well, the, the sanctions, sanctions, the sanctions around, around, around the flag instead wait, of soaking no, revolt. Hold on a second. I, I want to say that well, there's no flag to rally the, around the, in Iran. Well, in Iran, Islamic flag. No, no, no. But no, no, no. What you have? No. Salim's point is that the United States is perceived as picking on Iran, even the stupid regime that they're talking about there. Right. Aren't the people? Aren't the people going to rally around? Exactly. I don't think they're fairly. I agree with Chris that they. They, they are a fairly sophisticated society. They uh, have never not... invaded anyone. Well, uh, uh, and it, you know, as opposed to the Iraqis and the other uh, Sunnis. All right, all right. The, the imperialistic Sunnis. Who you surround seem to have them. a thing against Sunnis, which well, I'm not. I'm, you know, I'm it's like having a thing against Lutherans. I'm talking about It's like having a thing against you know. I'm talking about history. Conservative Jews. If you look at history, Jews, let's let, let's let no. Salim talk. If you look at history, the Sunnis are are implicated by their imperialism. I, uh, look, I think that. Uh, let me tell you something. My after Mary Jo, my first love is history. Okay. Okay. And I'm going to tell you, you have got to know that there has been a lot of bad stuff done in the name of every religion. Roman Catholicism, Lutheranism, I'm about Shia Sunni, and Sunni, Shia. And I, I don't think you should say Sunniism is the problem Wahhabi in the Middle East. is the underlying I, okay, ideology. Okay, okay, you've said so. You've said so. I, I understand. I said it to the, to the audience. I okay. said that to you personally. Okay. Okay. But I want right. everyone to know so, what I'm saying. But, the Wahhabi version of Islam is the animating ideology behind ISIS, behind um, the Taliban, I, I, behind I, all I, of these Islamist groups that we seem I, to be. I just, what, there what, are, what, was, there, what was that, 19 of the hijackers were Saudi? Or exactly. Yeah, there are Shia extremists. Where, where, where have they shown folks, up? We have, and we have callers on the line or a caller <laughs> on the line. We, they've been waiting a long time. Uh, this is, I believe, Tom in Youngstown, Ohio, listening to us on WPIC out of Sharon, Pennsylvania. Go ahead. 
Good evening, Bruce, and your guests. You know, as far as the uh, trade situation with China is concerned, why don't we just forget about trading with China? I mean, we, you know, we started trading with them because they had, 50, uh, they had a, uh, a billion people, and we were trying to bring them into the family of nations. It hasn't worked. In fact, they, you know, we, they weren't really customers. Uh, they aren't customers of ours. We're customers of theirs more than, more than they are of ours. And I really think it'd be advantageous if we switched our trade situation to India. Yeah, not only for them, for us. Did, who is this? Who, who is this <laughs> caller? This is Tom in Youngstown, Ohio. By Tom, I just want to tell you. I, I want to tell you, Tom. I I had a long conversation <laughs> in India a few days ago. Body. Exact same point. We India is almost as big as China, and within this decade or next decade, it will have more people than China, 1.35 billion and growing. Far more liberal. Number one. Number two, it's a common law system. Number three, they've got a middle class there that is bigger than our entire population, okay? They speak English. One big one. And uh, they vote. They vote. They are small-D Democrats. They are right on the border of China, and they've had feuds with China before. They are right next door to the Islam nation. Uh, you know, they, Pakistan, in fact, was divided from, okay. from uh, India right. because right. of its Muslim uh, predominancy. And on the other side of Pakistan is Afghanistan, and on the other side of that is Iran. Now, you've got a billion uh, Chinese, you've got a billion uh, Muslims, and you've got a billion Indians. And, you know, we can't continue to be the share for the world. I think it's time we uh, build up India, and both uh, economically and militarily, and deputize them to take care of that, you know, at least <laughs> well, to a certain extent, take care of that part of the world. I, 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 I just want to recommend a lot of respect for 5,000-year-old societies when we come from one that's sort of 450 years old. But I, I, having said that, I think that India is achieving an enormous amount. Its economy last year surpassed that of France. Okay, so India is now in sort of the top six or seven economies in the world, and it is only going to grow. And I agree, we've got a lot more in common. We, you know, we've been through some dry spells in our relationships with India. That's a long story, far too much for right now. Now is the time to focus on India. And I also agree with the other thing Tom said. China has proven itself after people like Bill Clinton and people like George Bush and even Barack Obama went out of their way to embrace China, you know, and, and to, to try to get China to join the community. China has proven itself to be a terrible partner. And we, we've oh, got absolutely. a... What, what, I, have a I have a question about, about India. Uh, and again, this is based on perception. I've not right. been there 30 right. times or 20 times or whatever, but Neither based on perception. Yeah. The perception that I have of India, obviously... Those from India who come to the United States yes. are seem to be very bright, right. very productive, and I don't know whether they go home or not, but, I mean, they stay here and they appear to be productive. But with, with everything that India has going for them, why is there so much poverty? Why is the perception of the country is you've got water you can't drink, people are living on top of each other, and it, 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 it's, it's a cesspool of existence. That's my impression of what India is. Okay. Um, Am I wrong? I, I think that India is a very big story. It's a very big country. It's enormous physically. It's enormous in population. When I say that they've got a middle class bigger than our entire population in the United States, 
Remember that there's another billion people behind that middle class that they've got to worry about and try to find a way to take care of. Are they doing anything for those people? Oh, I think that I think the Modi government, the Modi government is, it would seem to me, and I'm very privileged to be a part, and I've got a visa, so I want to be respectful here. The <laughs> Modi government is, I would say, something of a mixed blessing. You know, Modi has given in on some of the religious issues, and he has sort of promoted the religious dimension right. in ways that have caused some people to wonder if Gandhi's view of a secular India is going to survive. It won't survive. I, I believe that it will. There are other people who believe that it won't, but in any case... So do you think it goes the way of Turkey, is what you're saying? I, I, I think Erdogan that there are... Similar to Modi. <clears throat> I think there are parallels between Erdogan and Modi, but I think Modi and his people are much more reasonable than Erdogan has proven to be. But I think that in terms of your big question about poverty, there the, the economy there is growing rapidly. And I think that is what they have to do to eradicate poverty, which has been endemic for, as I say, 5,000 years. Yeah. Can I, can I point out something else? Oh, no. Tom's, Tom's, Tom, Tom's still talking. Oh, Tom. Yeah, go ahead, Tom. Okay. Now, it's my understanding they had a caste system there. And I don't know if it's still in existence or not. But if we're talking about helping out the poor, those jobs that went to China were jobs we didn't want because of the fact that, uh, you know, it, it, they were low-skilled jobs, that sort of thing. So it would probably help their India's poor out. And, you know, then, then as you say, their middle class is there. They probably wouldn't want those jobs anyway. Tom, so we've got a point. Tom, you, you bring up a good point. We'll continue the conversation. Thank you for your call. We will roll on from Chicago at our new studios. Don't go away. back in Chicago and Chris Roblin continue with your point you're making a point about Joe Biden and and the problems that uh, you see the Democrats uh, making I mean you, I, you I, like I think to see that them Biden, making mistakes I, I, but like maybe like all of us <laughs> and so much in life Biden is a mixed blessing but I think that Biden is right now a vessel for an expression of support by traditional democratic constituencies right. in the neighborhoods across America and, who are not entirely comfortable with Alexandria or Ocasio-Cortez or uh, Congresswoman Tlaib or, you know, some of these other, right. you know, the, the right. way that Nancy Pelosi has chosen to speak about issues such as immigration. And when, when she will not meet with the family members, the mothers of these individuals who've been killed by the El Salvadoran street gang that is now basically operating with impunity throughout a lot of the Eastern United States because of, I hate to say this, our own immigration policies. Right. When right. she is, she is denying right. that she's denying those moms an audience. Then I think people in the democratic party self-selected are saying, you know, I think this Joe Biden guy, you know, he reminds me of what we used to be like. I, okay. But how do you, how do you, Michael though, honestly, as a Jew, as somebody who, yeah. um, who is a, in charge of the Holocaust Museum here in Chicago. How do you square what you know with some of the Democrats at the national level and what they're doing to support uh, Palestine and Hamas? And, oh, I mean, how do you handle okay. Ilhan 
Omar. L- listen, I, I have been very outspoken about my feelings about Ilhan Omar, uh, Rashida Tlaib, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, I think there is uh, a battle raging in the Democratic Party, frankly, for the uh, soul of the Democratic Party over the issue of Israel. Mm-hmm. I know some people think that is a battle already lost. I tend to think we're talking about a handful of backbenchers, uh, but it's, uh, it is a growing issue for the Democratic Party. But from my perspective, I don't want to see the Democratic Party go the way of Jeremy Corbyn's Labor Party in England. Right, right, right. So I think this is a battle that needs to be fought. Right, right. right I want to, since I'm looking at, at two Democrats right. yes. who I think are going to disagree on this okay. issue, mm-hmm. let's talk about, Salim, I know you have strong feelings about the three Democrats referenced by uh, Michael Bauer. I don't, I, I don't think, I think any, you see them in a different light. Well, I don't, I don't think there's any, um, I, I think it's conflating the issue to say, to talk about the Holocaust and then talk about Gaza or the Palestinians. These are two completely different issues. Uh, and, and to try to connect them in, in some sort of anti-Semitic tandem, I think is, 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 uh, is, is almost, almost um, uh, intellectually dishonest. Because the, the, there are some people, the, the Palestinians are fighting for their land that was completely um, uh, misappropriated, disappropriated from them. They were, they were, uh, they were disinherited of, of their own he, uh, of their own land, and and so they're trying to fight for that. In Gaza, they're living in a in, in an outdoor prison, uh, and, and and are denied any any kind of an amenity that civilized people should be expected to to enjoy, and so they they are in, in a state of suffering. And to compare that with what the Nazis did to, to the Jewish people um, and, and the Holocaust that they experienced, that, that is, to me, a, a, a grievous conflation. And I don't understand how we allow that to happen. Michael, and, you know. I, I, I appreciate your words. I think you're absolutely right. I think there is, there is an issue between Israel and the Palestinians that needs to be resolved. But when I hear people trying to compare this or some other issue to the Holocaust, frankly, I, I just think, do people not understand what, what unimaginable horrors occurred 75 years ago? I mean, uh, we had a mayoral race in Chicago where the campaign manager, one of the candidates, uh, posted on Twitter a uh, picture of Nazi guards on trial in Nuremberg and, and said they were following orders just like one of the mayoral candidates was following mm, orders. Mm, and I, frankly... Yeah went berserk at this and not only texted the campaign manager, but I texted the candidate. I said, this is just unconscionable to try to, to try to uh, devalue the Holocaust like that. Yay, Michael Bauer. Yeah. I Let agree. me tell but, you, but John McDermott lives on. Where, where do, where does the future of that debate within the democratic party go? Because every time one of these three representatives, primarily the the representative uh, to lead from um, well, I think uh, a lot of people spoke up for her. Uh, the, uh, yes, the, the last time there was a, there was a general. But every outpouring. time she says anything, she's she's by the right a lightning wing. Ride. By the right wing, they, they, well, they, but they, the national media picks yeah. it up because do they 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 just want the battle? They want the fight. They want the fight. well. It's good for ratings, number one, and, and and but the real problem is, you know, between the Israelis and the Palestinians. There has to be a political will on each side to want to come up with a peace arrangement. And I personally don't think the political will exists on either side. Because I think each side has convinced itself 
that there could be a one-state solution where it takes over the entire land between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. And, and that is not, from my perspective, a, uh, a practical or feasible solution. You still support a two-state solution? Yeah, absolutely. Since, okay, since so. we met, I, I want to get everybody's reaction. Since uh, Facebook uh, several weeks ago, uh, they banned Minister Louis Farrakhan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They banned uh, uh, Alex, Alex Jones, Jones. Uh, and, and several others. Milo right. or my, whatever. Milo Yiannopoulos. Milo Yiannopoulos. Yeah. So my question to you is, do you support that? Should people, no matter how uh, offensive their comments might be, should they be banned from Facebook? Jeannie? It's a private company. You can choose to use Facebook or not. Um, so the, how we regulate it in the future is interesting. However, a ban, I mean, you're, you're delving into uh, who do you let go to your restaurant or not? In a way, right? Is everybody welcome to your to the restaurant that you have open for business? Or is this a private club? I mean, I don't know where that stands. What do you think, Michael? So, well, I, I tend to see this a little differently. I was delighted by Facebook's actions. I think hate speech leads to, to hate action. And, and there's a direct correlation between the speech and the action. And, uh, and people who are out and out uh, bigots of any sort, whether they're anti-Semites, whether they're racists, whether they're uh, uh, Islamophobic, uh, whether they're xenophobic, you know, if the rhetoric gets to a certain level, I don't think they have the right to free speech. How does so? How do how, we? Wait, wait, how do wait, we? Wait, who wait, do we wait, determine well, that? How, how, it, what yeah, is hate does, speech? Yes. Wait, and wait. Uh, you know, it, additionally, here the answer to hate speech is more speech. Well, and I, the, I, I understand. Degree. I mean, I've, I I've heard that a great do deal. Believe that. I, but if Twitter had existed in nineteen in the nineteen thirties, could you imagine what the Nazis could have done with Twitter and with uh, Facebook and Instagram? Well, so that scares me, and and, and I will tell you, uh, I mean, but I, I don't have know friends you... all the time getting banned, for, uh, getting you know put in jail, Facebook jail all mm, the time for yeah. comments or words that come up, and they yeah. don't even know why. It yeah, could be it, the abortion, it could thorny, be whatever. What it's a is thorny hate dilemma, speech? it really is. I mean, you look at Rwanda, for example. There was a proliferation of hate speech before that genocide. Yes. Right. right. Yes. And, and a lot you of people right. and a That's lot of right. people are saying, well, you know, that that inflamed that inflamed tensions yes. in ways That's that right. it were uh, unnecessary. And so I think you have to be careful about that. But at the same time, you also have to uh, understand the need for uh, expression. And that um, contrary speech is sometimes so, the best. So the, the best the, here it is, you does have it. to take action when the action occurs, though. That's the thing is, mm-hmm. I think that. The problem here is that there's sometimes a disconnect from by of getting the perpetrator once uh, a criminal act actually occurs. That should be that should be prosecuted immediately, uh, taken care of, um, and everybody should know that that's how that's gonna how it's gonna be handled okay. in the future. And so if we had, I mean, look, there's no place that's more lawless than Chicago right now with the whole Jesse Smollett stuff. I mean, it's seriously serious okay. lawlessness, and that's yeah. why you, nobody. You're maybe a little bit iffy about we need to knock down the hate speech because you're worried that it creates an action and that that action ever isn't ever prosecuted. Look, if we have rule of law, we prosecute these actions, and then you're halfway there. Do it away in. I don't believe that Facebook or Mr. Zuckerberg is equipped to uh, regulate speech, and I think that speech is vital for democracy. I also think it's a social utility. I think that Facebook and the Internet are social utilities now. 
And I think that they are, therefore, public accommodations. Okay. And so I think that, you know, we ought to view with great skepticism, in my humble opinion, um, efforts, uh, which I consider to be a sort of authoritarian efforts to sort of, we Facebook, parentheses, whoever the heck we Facebook is or are, end parentheses, say, Smith here can no longer speak to people, or Jones here can no longer, right. They're going to do that to Farrakhan today. None of us like Farrakhan. None of us like uh, right. Alex like Jones. Him. Okay, you might like <laughs> yeah, him. But, like but okay, many people don't like Farrakhan. Mm -hmm. I don't think Milo Yiannopoulos deserves to be banned. I think he's a uh, agent provocateur. I think mm -hmm. he's right. sort of a wit and I whatever. I've seen him on TV a few times. But anyway, who the heck is Facebook? But look to at make Alex these Jones. decisions. But I, 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 I want to go. I'm going to go to Salim though. The you, best you, thing here is competition, though. If you don't yeah. like what Facebook's doing, start your well, own. Facebook. Well, they they felt under pressure. But your point about yeah. Farrakhan. They felt under pressure. To, they felt under pressure to do, especially since since uh, uh, what happened in New Zealand, and, and it was it was broadcast live. Right. right. They were under extreme pressure to take some some sort of action. Right. It's a bit ironic that. Uh, that the action they took was was banning a Muslim, and 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 will provoke. What provoked them was an assault against Muslims. But that's 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 an irony that that you know we can discuss at another time. I think that uh, Farrakhan is a nuanced situation. You know, he, most black people love Farrakhan. The, the least thing that they are uh, concerned about is his so-called anti-Semitic teachings, and uh, and they are they, so-called. Come well, on, oh, they're not so called. They well, are anti-Semitic. Well, Come on, I mean, he, he, well, he he does. Let us just he said when we, co when we come back, I want I want to pick up on that. <laughs> I also want to get Michael's reaction. I want to get pick, uh, picked up on your assessment uh, analysis of Ma Minister Louis Farrakhan. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight. So, Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. We're having a heck of a show during the break. Uh, and, uh, yeah. We should probably put that out on a separate uh, pay-per-view. How about a pay-per-view <laughs> version yeah, yeah, on the Beltway? Uh, Michael Bauer, I wanted to, uh, Salim, I wanted to give yes. you a, a chance to elaborate on your comments about Minister Louis Farrakhan. Yeah, when, when he speaks about, um, when he condemns certain Jews, he he condemns Muslims in the same way. He condemns Christians in the same way. His point is that there are people who don't live up to their religious obligations, and they should be condemned for that. That's where he's. That, are that's Jews his, too? He's sensitive. trying to say. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, he he okay. he he verges on things that sound anti-Semitic. I think one of the reasons he's doing it, he's trying to rally his rally the troops. Um, that that kind of uh, that kind of uh, uh, defiance is is a is a. Is an important Michael rallying Bauer, point for a lot of people. Now, so those, I think he does that for them. The words well, you hear bother you. Well, but the but the words, it's one thing to say that you may not be conforming to your religion. When you start calling people of a certain religion termites. Mm. You know, that's that's really an ugly word, yeah. mm -hmm. right? And 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 the problem is it doesn't stop with that. The problem is what it may lead to, because because for someone like me. Whose, whose parents are Holocaust survivors, you know, I've heard that language before. Yes, sir. And I saw what it led to. Well, that's the language that they had in uh, Rwanda and Burundi. Yes, that's true. I mean, it was, it was a similar language, and it was on a radio station. And to his everlasting credit, 
President Clinton pretty much wiped out that radio station. Mm. Um, so do we not do 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 we not have any shame anymore in this country? Well, you know, is there but, no 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 is there no shame anymore? Do we not expose yeah. what's been, being said? There's been no give the historical context. There's been no about evidence the, of Farrakhan's followers doing anything anti-Semitic. Yeah, no, uh, no attacks no, on that, Jews. That, that's okay. absolutely true. It's just there's been language. no but, attacks on any kind of Jewish at establishment. Some point, nothing at all. Nor breaking the law. Nor breaking the law. Nothing. At some point, though, the, the, how you are treated in the public sphere, how you are looked at in the public sphere, should have some impact on folks like that. And it just doesn't yeah, anymore. It feels like. Anything goes. Michael, I think I asked you this question a long, uh, couple of months ago or on okay. the program. Is there a right to dislike Jews? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Where do you separate that from? When, when does that right, which you think people have, yes. when does that become a borderline concern for uh, that affects you uh, insofar as what some of that rhetoric might lead to if someone doesn't want to associate with me because i'm jewish that's their prerogative however if someone wants to publicly denounce not just me but the entire uh 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 constituency of jewish people as being less than less than people less less than worthy of life you know words like that start scaring me Salim, what's your answer to the same question? Pe uh, people who are who don't why, like blacks. Do, does everybody have to like blacks? No, I would ask, why, why don't people like Jews? What, what's the reason for it? Um, is, is there some religious bigotry behind it or some religious motivation? Or why don't people like African Americans? I, I mean, I, I can come up with my Jealousy own could be one for Jews. It, it there could, could be, be a lot of people who are jealous of you. Very, it could very well be. Another reason is that there's just, you know, a lot of people say anti-Semitism is the longest historical bigotry that existed in the history of mankind. Right. And it's just and it just ebbs and flows, but it does ebb and flow. It never totally goes away. But don't you think... They don't, it, they don't have that bumper based? sticker, Jesus isn't was the, the Jew? Theological part of, part of it is probably religious-based. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. Chris, you're uh, weighing in on this issue, or are you just yawning? I, I mean, look, <laughs> it, it's very easy for us to dislike each other. It's very rewarding when we find ways to work together. And uh, I think when people cross lines, and Michael used the example of the Nazi party in the 1930s, uh, the Grand Mufti down in Jerusalem in the 1930s and the 1940s. When you, in my humble opinion, spokespeople like for the Palestinians and what they have said, I don't think that you can look at the historic record of what Palestinian leaders have said about Israel and about Jews, and find uh, from the leaders, from the leaders, okay? I'm not talking about crazy people on both sides. I'm talking about, you look at what Arafat said. About and, Jews? And, and about Israel and okay. the Jews. No, not and about you Jews. Look at about, and you look at what the leaders of Israel said have said about the Palestinians and about Arabs, and I don't think there's a balance there. And, and I about, think it's deeply concerning. What about the concerning. desire that we have now, Jeannie, uh, that, at least in political circles, you are obligated to denounce your enemy? Right. You've got, to, you've got to denounce them. You can't just say, forget about them. I mean, their language, I mean, there's people, I mean, denouncing Donald Trump. Donald yeah. Trump could say anything tomorrow. The and there, count and there, will be a, there will be a group that will, that will demand denounce. that somebody denounce him. 
usually a Republican. You got to stand up and denounce them. No, I mean that, that, that it's just foolish. It's uh, political pandering at its worst. And honestly, this entire last bit of this conversation we've had, the average American wants to know, make sure their kids are educated, the roads are working well, um, that they're, they're, they know in Illinois at least the property taxes are too high. They want to make sure their kids have a job. They're worried about health care. And they're just, they don't walk around actually thinking that what, whatever Farrakhan said, uh, you know, on some site but see, but look, is, uh, is bothering them. It's, but a lot of it's black people are afraid that the cops are going to shoot them. Right. They're afraid that the cops are going to shoot them. They have no statistical basis. They have no statistical there's no, no and so you look at the poverty there is no basis. Wait a minute, what's happening in Chicago instead? The cops go to make an arrest. Hold on. Wait, the cops go to make an arrest and it becomes a mob scene and they have to back off. Salim, the problem. That's the problem, though. That's the problem. It's The problem in the black community is young black. Can I please say something? Jesse Smollett. Young black men. Killing other young black men. Look, that is, is the issue. Poverty is criminogenic. You look anywhere on the planet. Yeah, because the, are in the first way to combat poverty is with a so job. So what you have to do is so step one, the legacy of slavery that has restricted black people from any kind of participation in this economy for uh, centuries, man. We'll be back next you week. You know that. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> I don't understand why. I, 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 I have a hard time understanding how you can simply ignore that. I really do. That's because what. That's what's amazing what to me, saying. huh? Because what you're saying is actually.